with me, please. Father in heaven, we come to you with gratitude, just complete gratitude for that amazing grace, for the fact that you did touch us with that grace and make us whole. That was the big something that happened to every one of us when we came to cross came to the cross of Christ and we acknowledged who we are. Absolutely nothing. And we humbly take that responsibility and we know that you are the answer. And so tonight we just praise you. We give you glory. We, we worship you. We want to study. We want to learn. We want to know you better. For all those who are hurting tonight, Father, maybe even right now, you know every one of us so well. You know exactly what we've come with tonight. You know exactly what our needs are. And so what we do right now is lift them to you and know you are ready and able to handle them. So now as we go into James chapter 3, may we so be, oh, may we have that desire May we so want to hear from you. May your Holy Spirit speak in a way that we just can't help but hear. Father, may we hear you tonight and not ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I remember tonight. Okay, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Right. All right. Um, James chapter three tonight and um, just a little synopsis as we are going through this. Um, can I just say from what I saw in last week's lesson, um, all I could think about was I am so thankful that Jesus does not show partiality. I am so grateful that Jesus doesn't show us favoritism. And I'm so grateful that he doesn't discriminate. And to me, that is what James started last week with making sure that we, we know that, you know, it's something that creeps into our nature. And why shouldn't we show partiality, favoritism, or discrimination? Because Jesus never did. And aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that when you came to the cross, he didn't say, well, I really didn't pick you. You weren't the one I really was looking for today. I mean, that's just so ridiculous as you get to know Jesus. You just know that he just stands there welcoming anybody who is willing to see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. So I'm thankful that he doesn't show any partiality. Um, another thing that I saw last week was he kind of showed us that another temptation we have is that we kind of base our worth or, or, you know, our, who we are on so many of the earth things, so many earthly possessions or people or wealth or fame or, or all those things that all feel so good. And yet how James says, but I want you to know that, that Jesus just loves to pick those who are poor, and what does poor mean? It doesn't necessarily mean money. It means that they haven't been bitten by that temptation of finding their worth and who they are in something of this world. They don't, they, they're poor in the things of this world. I mean, even if they have a lot, mentally they are poor because they know that there isn't anything that this world could give them that Jesus can. No, there's no one of this earth, no, nothing of this earth that can save them. And that's why he says, James says, that the poor have been chosen to be rich in faith. And so it was just kind of a clear, you know, just kind of a look at yourself and see what do you depend on for who you are. Who are you anyway? Who are you? How about you are his child? You are one in Christ Jesus. You are brothers and sisters that belong to a family. Uh, to me, that just says so much more to find your worth and who you really are. Another thing I saw last week was, 
he talked about that he used a phrase freedom in Christ. There's there's that word freedom in Christ that the law the law helps us to see what freedom is. And it says, I'm speaking act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. God's word shows us that, that we have been set free. What does that mean, we've been set free? And yet, we are still enslaved. We are set free, and yet we are enslaved to Jesus. We've been set free, and yet we're, we're now enslaved to him. So... In a very simple explanation, I think a song helped me to understand that this week. Um, what does the fact that I am set free, I am free from the fear of what tomorrow may bring. Because of Jesus and that relationship I have in, with him, I am free from the guilt of my past. I mean, those are two major things. We are, we are free from from. Whatever happens tomorrow, I mean, we can, we're free of worry and panic and anxiety because we are sure, we've been set free of that because we're sure of him. We are free from the guilt of our past. I think one of my favorite phrases when people want to, and even myself, when I want to remember something of my past, and it, it just makes me feels so terrible and, and it even gets me in that I start getting crabby and that kind of thing and I'm thinking no I, it's all under the blood and there's nothing that that holds it can it can hold on to anymore because it's been washed under the blood of Christ once it's been forgiven it's under his blood we've been set free of the guilt of our past and that song says, and I've traded all my heavy, because believe it or not, when you, when you think you're free, remember last week we said the people who don't know Christ think that we're the ones bound by laws, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and yet they're the ones who are so bound by sin. We've been set free, and yet being enslaved to Jesus, we belong to him. And we should love that, that we belong to him. We are not our own anymore. We've been bought with a price, a pretty big price. So when he talks about that freedom, the, the word of God keeps reminding us how free we are in Christ, even though we belong to him. And then... And then we, James really kind of hit at the end of it again about, um, about faith and works and how they have to go hand in hand. Remember last week I said, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if Paul walked in that door and James walked in that door and together they gave us a lesson on faith and works. And they would, they would be so um, adamant that we understand that the two go hand in hand that when you have faith, when you believe and you trust and you know, when you know him, you will automatically then, you will watch that change. You will watch your whole purpose, your whole reason for living. It will, it will change and you will want to serve. We ended last week with singing, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows and that's why faith and works go together. And Paul wants to make sure that we don't. And, and I, I'm, I, Paul made sure we, we knew that we have to have faith first before works. And so he, he stresses the faith. Because so many times people want to earn their way in, into salvation. Or they think that good works will make them, um, that the Lord will be more pleased with them. And so they, they get the car before the horse. They, they think the works will help their faith. Where then James comes in and says, no, show me faith without works and I'll show you a faith that's dead. Because real faith will produce works. But it's for a whole different reason. You know, when you have your works first before faith, then you're kind of doing it for you because you want to wanna achieve and, and make your way in, in a better position to them. But when, when James says that when our faith comes first and then 
then our works, then our works are for him and him only. We should always, always check our works and make sure that they're doing, that they're being done for him and not for us. And believe me, that has to be checked because that can sneak in real quick how we can want um, our works to do something for us. So anyway, he ended last week by saying, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So now tonight he starts, not many of you should presume to be teachers. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. My brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I remember hearing one time in Bible study fellowship, I remember they needed teachers for the, for the children's program. And the one thing they never want to hear ever when asked to, to, would you be a discussion leader or will you please work in the, in the children's department? They never wanted to hear, well, seeing that you need somebody, or, you know, whenever, whenever you, you do it because out of obligation. In fact, the writer of Bible Study Fellowship, she once said, I'd rather have no teacher in that particular class than have the wrong one. Or someone in there for the wrong reason. I think James is kind of talking about that a little bit. He's saying, you know, not everybody should assume to be teachers because it is a big responsibility. It, you are held to a higher standard. Um, you are being influential. I remember when, when I used to have children come up in front, and sometimes there would just be hundreds and I would look at all these little faces who were staring at me and, and those big eyes looking and watching. And I'm thinking, oh, people want, one, one time someone asked me, how do you keep your life so right with the Lord? How do you, how, what is your momentum? And I said, I just look at those faces. I mean, I've got two of my own. But when I see all those who are, list, who are listening and trusting in fact, one mom told me one time she was having a little argument with her daughter about something, her little one, and she was just as sure as she and she, she came right back at her and said, yeah, but Linnell said, and, and she says, well, I didn't know what else to say after that, but, you know, it, it just kind of woke me up. You know, they're listening, they're watching, but they're listening, and they're trusting you, and I in some respect, if you, you know, we are all our teachers, really, because if you have someone watching you or looking, looking to you or trusting you, you're a teacher. And I think what James is saying here is that not many of you should presume to be teachers because, you know, not only is it about being older and, and more experienced and all that kind of thing, but it has to do with, you know, the words you say, the character you live out. There's so much to being a teacher. And, you know, a, a teacher can only teach what they themselves know. And that, I think, is what James the crux of the matter here. He's saying, you know, you, you just think you know so much. You think you know everything. And he's trying to get us to see we all need to keep learning. We all need to keep studying because we can't bring anybody farther than what we are. You can't assume to be this great teacher, but if you're not willing to work at it, if you're not willing to learn and to study, because you can't take somebody farther than you are. And it is a big responsibility. What are they seeing? What are they hearing? What are they learning? That's, that's the big thing to me. What are they learning from me? I mean, even for, for me with the class, I mean, I, I do not take it lightly because I, I realize that 
that, you know, you're trusting me to study hard and to really go into God's word. And I think this, James is saying, just remember when, when you have people who are listening and trusting you and believing that, that you're not going to lead them astray, that, you're gonna, that they're going to learn something from you, Boy, if that's not momentum, I don't know what is. We want to keep learning and growing. And he goes, he goes on and, and he says, we all stumble in many ways. I, don't you love James's honesty? I mean, you know, he, he kind of catches us in the first verse by saying, remember, you know, don't assume to be some great teacher just because of who you are. No, have you put in the time and the effort and the work? Are you, are you willing to, to take on this godly character? And, and do you want to take people along with you? Then you got you to work at this. Don't just assume that this all happens. This takes Again, Donna, I look at you and I think of your PhD and all that, and I think of all the people that you've helped in the, you know, psychology and all that. And and but that didn't happen overnight. Look at how you would learn and study and and all that. And and we can understand that when you see people going, you know, for for you know to college for certain positions and for careers and that. But spiritually, I think we need to, to see what James is saying. We, we have a big responsibility spiritually to be able to take people along and to teach them through our lives and what we have learned. And so it kind of was a real punch. But then, then he kind of says in verse 2, but, you know, we all stumble, we, we all... He says, we all stumble in many ways, this for sure. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Anybody want to um, uh, volunteer if that's you? I mean, I would just love to meet you tonight. If, if, you, if you absolutely um, can keep your whole body in check all the time, that means your mind and your actions and your mouth. And I think all of this is just an intro for James because he's going to, he's going to get to the mouth. And that's what he's really going after. Because that, he's, you know, that he knows is what teaches or can drive people farther away. So I think this is all kind of like an intro. But he, he, he uses the word stumble. And I... I like that because it's not a fatal fall. I mean, we all stumble, James says. And, and that's good to know that, yes, we're going to stumble, but we better then get up and get back on track. So even though a stumble is not a fatal fall, it can be. Definitely, it can definitely hinder your spiritual growth and progress. So a stumble, I don't want it to, uh, to minimize it because even though it's not the fatal fall, it's not a done deal. Yeah, we stumble, but just know that even though we start stumbling, we better do something about it because it's, it's going to hinder our progress. See, then he gets, then he gets into verse three. I think the first two verses were pretty much, you know, an intro. But when we put bits, and I'm sure you saw, he uses three great illustrations. When you put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Anybody? Anybody enjoy riding a horse? Anybody? Do you love, do you enjoy riding a horse? Um, anybody scared of riding a horse? <laughs> I, 
I'm not scared. And they say that horses can tell that right away. And I remember one time when I was on a horse, I felt safer. Um, and here I was in the middle of the Cascade Mountains, and it was real steep and real rock, rocky. And, and I have to tell you, I felt safer on my two feet than, than sitting on four. I really did. I just, I just didn't feel um, sturdy. And they say horses are so good on four, four legs, but I didn't feel that way. So, um, but it is quite amazing how when they put that bridle on, when they put that bit in the horse's mouth, and then you hold those reins, how just a tug of one hand you know, or both. I mean, that horse is directed by just what's in his mouth. And then he goes on and says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Here, another great illustration. And if you're a boater, you know that. You have, no matter what size boat you have, in comparison, what steers that boat is so small. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. So he kind of inserted where he's going with this, but then he gives one more real Good illustration. So we see what he's trying to get across here. And remember how many times I've said in the last couple of weeks, I am pretty 99.9% sure James had a mouth problem. And I think it got him into trouble many times. I think he was probably very sorry for, for what he used to say to Jesus. And, and, you know, how often haven't we? One of the questions, I don't know if any of you went online and got the questions, but one of the questions I did ask was, um, have you ever, have you ever, can you remember a time where you, your mouth really got you into trouble? I mean, um, that you were very, that you were hurtful. That, you know, so quick, maybe, maybe it was, uh, you know, um, well, I wasn't going to say it, but I remember one of mine so terrible. And I might as well just admit it. Maybe you'll never come back after tonight because you know I'm all awful. I'm, this happened um, oh, probably about five years after Tom and I were married. And we've been married 49 years. And, and we, we um, uh, it seemed like many of my friends, most of my friends, all, we all got married within the first few years or right you know, at the same time. And then there was a couple gals that didn't get married till um, later, you know, five, six years later than us. So we had a shower. And so many of us got together and we hadn't seen us. And, and I don't know how this subject got on our, you know, you, you reminisce. And I was, we were going about, you know, when we were in high school and how, you know, my maiden name was Vlietstra. And I was, um, when, we were, when we'd have to line up alphabetically many times, I was between two, two guys, and one's last name was Visser, and one's last name was Voss, and I was Vleister right in between. And there was one, I mean, I shouldn't say it, they both just, oh my goodness, they just had the most awful smell. And uh, I mean, and again, I, I'm so anyway, we got reminiscent and I'm, we're talking and, and, you know, I, you know, everybody's saying something funny and, and then I just blurted. I was, yeah, I said, I was certainly in between a two, a real pair. I said that. I'm sure in between a pair, you know, and. Never did I know that the girl getting married was getting married to one of them. I mean, you know, oh, my gosh. Oh, I just feel so, I can, 
you know, when I was going over this lesson tonight, I, I, I thought, you don't have to go there. Everybody's going to remember their own thing, you know. You don't have to go voice yours, and then no one will ever know how, how terrible. Um, but you know what? Once, then you know what happened? There was a gasp. And, you know, right away you start thinking, well, how can I get out of this? <laughs> Don't you do that? When that mouth gets you into trouble and then you try to get out of it by maybe, you know, sometimes you just get into deeper trouble. Or, But this was one time I knew that I was not getting out of this. And the only thing I could do was to look at her and say, I apologize. I am so sorry. You know, but unfortunately, she was a sweetheart and she forgave me. But but still, you know, when I wrote that question, I knew what I was thinking. And it was so terrible that it, not that I haven't done it. You know, I'm sure I've done plenty of, of problems with my mouth since then, you know. But that one just sticks to me because I know that it was hurtful. And why? Oh, probably to get a laugh. And how, how we, we do that, and we don't, even, we don't even think. It just comes out. And this is what James, I think that's what he had, had a problem with too. You know, sometimes it's just you can't control it. So he gave such great illustrations. The bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder on the ship, and then the fire, the little, the little spark, the little spark. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Think that's the point. You see, and a lot of times, you know, you don't realize that small little portion of your body is hurtful. It does so much damage. Did you ever hear this? Of course you did. Sticks and stones... May break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Is that true? Absolutely not. From what I have felt from having it done to me and what I've experienced by, by being so cruel for a laugh or whatever, it is, it is the names, it is the tongue that probably can cause more damage and last longer than a stick or a stone, I'm sure my body would heal far quicker from somebody hitting me with a stick or a stone than with words that just seem to ring in the ear. No, yeah. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody cruel and then they said, I was just joking thought of that one too. I was just joking. I was just kidding. By then, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Were you really or not? I ran across this in Proverbs 10, verse 20. Tongue, the tongue of the righteous. The tongue of the righteous. And remember where righteous is. It's when you're living right. When you're living according to the voice of the Holy Spirit and whispering in your ear, telling you what to say and how to say it. And all when you are listening to him and you are living right, the tongue of the righteous is like choice silver. That's what we sang that song tonight. I just, I, I thought... Lord, when I'm living right with you, you are more precious than silver. You're more costly than gold. And when I'm following you, even my tongue will follow suit. Well, if you want, you can turn to Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read a few verses that Jesus talked about. Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse, oh, let's see, 34. Matthew 12, verse 34.
I mean, I could, oh, there's so much. I'm, I'm standing here debating. I'm thinking, should I just read those few verses or should I go? Yeah, I'm going to start with verse 30 because the, Jesus' instruction in this chapter was so good. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. I know that's really not our lesson tonight, but it just fits in this. And Jesus, I just want to make sure you know something that, you know, no matter what you've done, it will, it can be forgiven. There's nothing that he will not. In fact, even if you blasphemed, even if you didn't believe in Jesus, and it's like James, you know, he, it says right there in one of the gospels that his brothers did not believe in him. Just think. And yet, when they discovered, then James experienced that forgiveness. So even blasphemy against the Son of Man, you will be forgiven. There isn't anything that we can do that when we ask for forgiveness, he won't forgive. Except one. The sin against the Holy Spirit, well, makes perfect sense why that isn't accepted, why that isn't forgiven. When the Holy Spirit sits on our shoulder before we come to Christ, because the number one job of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, that's the way I picture it, the Holy Spirit sits on our shoulder and he whispers in our ear through, through whatever means, whether it be radio or church or, or a neighbor or a Bible study or whatever. But the, until you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit is outside of you and he's whispering in your ear and he is telling you how much you need a Savior And the person that refuses to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit who is telling them to humbly come to the cross of Christ and accept a Savior, that is not forgivable. The sin against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven because it's your own fault. You said no to the very voice that wanted to save you. And then he goes on, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? You know who he's talking to here. He's talking to those Jewish leaders. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests. And he's talking to all those who are walking around in all of their religiosity. And he's saying, you brood of vipers. You want people to think you're so good. But out of you comes rotten fruit. You Brood of vipers, because he says, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Boy, he's really making sure we understand this, being that the tree is you and I. And he says, which way you are determines what kind of fruit is coming out of you. Is it the fruit of self or is it the fruit of the spirit? For out of you... You are you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment. For every careless word they have spoken, for, your, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. James is pretty much saying, your words are so important. 
what comes out of your mouth is so important. Do you know what he's saying here? Do you realize that the words that come out that say, oh, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I need a Savior. Please forgive me. When you say that prayer of confession, do you know that those words that you've just said have acquitted you? But the same words that say, no thanks. See, that's why um, Jesus pre-included pre, um, this by saying the sin against the Holy Spirit is not forgivable. Because when your words are, no thanks, no, I can handle this myself. No, I really, you know, it's kind of a sign of weakness. And I'm really quite, you know, strong. I don't, I don't need this Jesus stuff. Or, you know, it's so hard to humbly, and that's the word, it's so necessary, humbly confess. But humbly confess, it's what acquits you and I. But the cocky, no thanks, I'm fine on my own. No, I'm doing just really good. You know, I made something of myself. And see, all these lessons go together. He said, you know what? Those same words that you just said have just condemned you. And it condemned you to where? Eternal death. It's for sure. That's so that is what Jesus says about the words in the tongue. Okay, now back to James chapter 3. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Yeah. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. Do you have to read this slow? I know that we've all probably read this chapter many times. But when you read it slow, and I even say read it out loud. Because when he says, no man can tame the tongue. No man. But who can? <laughs> who can tame the tongue? Because obviously it's, it's, it needs to be tamed. And if man can't tame it. The only one who can is, is God himself. It's only under his power. <laughs> this little, just think, we need God's power to tame this little thing. And James says, boy, do I know it. Boy, have I learned. See, once we learn, see, once it was, I took care of my grandsons for a few days this past weekend. And, and after doing this lesson and realizing, you know, that as I learn more, I'm able to, like at bedtime, when I'm putting my four-year-old, I can talk about, do you know about what your words do? And we can talk about these stories and, and I can, you know, I, I, as you can see, I love to, I'm a real storyteller. I love to tell stories. But, but from what I've learned, I can warn him. I can tell him how, how important words are and how hurtful words can be. When he, when he talks to his mom that way or his brothers or, you know, I just think this is, that's why James says, don't assume to be teachers. If you don't have, if you haven't learned that lesson yourself, don't assume that you can be that kind of teacher to those precious people that you love so much but how important how wonderful it is when you have taken the time and you have learned that you can teach because it is so important that they learn that, that this little mechanism cannot be tamed it can only be tamed by the power of God when we're under his power 
And that's why I go back to that proverb that says that the tongue of the righteous is like silver, like pure silver. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. You know, when James talks about, and that's why we go slow, he talks about that the tongue, it's restless, it's a restless evil, and it's full of deadly poison. And he's trying to make us aware that these words, it's like a deadly poison because you know what words can do. I mean, fortunately, like I told you, that girl graciously forgave me, but... A deadly poison. Can you imagine what words can do to someone's reputation for their for their character? How how just by uh, oh it's just a joke I'm just kidding or whatever you know how it can really hurt someone's job or work ethic or their deadly poison. James has chosen these words on purpose. Words can destroy. There was a woman that went up to John Wesley. He must have been teaching in James. And she walked up to him and said, I think I found my talent. I think tonight, I think my talent from God is to... Speak my mind. I, I wonder where John Wesley, I'm sure he had to try to contain himself and try to, but can you imagine if I discovered my talent and that is to speak my mind. John, John Wesley um, looked back at her and said, I don't think the Lord would mind if you buried that one. <laughs> is that a good one? Remember, we're not, we're not supposed to remember the parable. We're not supposed to bury our talents. But John Wesley said, I don't think the Lord will mind if he... I'm, he, he was being very tactful because I think I would have said, he never did. He never gave you that talent. There's no way he would have given you that talent. So fortunately, there's nicer people like John Wesley that said, no, I think the Lord would like you to bury that one. But how often don't we think that, that that's just... Oh, that the Lord's given me strength to, to speak my mind. So, you know, James is just kind of making sure that we see all of this. But then he goes into this topic about, you know, the tongue. Think of what the tongue can do. One second, that tongue, we can praise our Lord and Father. I mean, we've heard enough illustrations on this, haven't we? You know, how, how this tongue can just stand in church and just praise the Lord. And the minute we get in our car, did you see so-and-so? Did you think the preacher had anything good to say today? Do you th didn't you just hate that music? And did you see what, what he wore? I know, I know you're snickering. We do it. And James must have too, because he's saying, in all reality, and, and do you know, do you know that the highest calling that this little piece of our body can do, the highest calling this, this tongue can do is to praise the Lord. That's the highest calling. That's the best thing we could ever do with this tongue is to praise the Lord. but the lowest evil of the same mechanism. The lowest evil. And we can do it within a matter. It's amazing how we can do that in such a short period of time. How it can, it can fulfill its highest calling one second and then show its lowest evil by cursing man. Look at look what he says. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And that, this, I underline this. I started 
because my brothers and sisters, James says, this should not be. That is just so wrong. And when you catch yourself, because you were in, in because you were here tonight, the Holy Spirit, one of his, another one of the Holy Spirit's jobs after he comes to live in your heart now, once he draws you to Jesus, then he's got more jobs, then he comes to live within you. But now his jobs are to help you recall what you've learned. And now that you've learned and you've heard James say, this should not be. Do you know that our tongue should speak the same language always? Whether you're in church or whether you're out in the world or whether you're at a party. or This, this little mechanism should be speaking the same language all the time. I remember when our son Chad went into the Marines and, and uh, he was going to be an officer in the Marines. And I happened to know, as his mom, I never told him, but I happened to know he was going to be a preacher someday. But um, I kept my mouth shut. But he was going to be an officer in the Marines. And he, he went through boot camp and then he went in, he went to Quantico, he was being an officer's candidate school. And, and, um, and that's where he heard the calling to go into ministry. It's really something how that all happened. But my point is, when he was in boot camp and um, when he would go on his, his weekends and, uh, you know, his weekend warriors and, you know, he'd get those camouflage on. And, and it, was, it was amazing to me how, and he'd, he'd come home and it would take about a day for him to turn into our... Our, our old Chad, man, he had a mouth on him. But supposedly that's Marine talk. And I remember saying to him one time, I said, man, I sure hope. And once he became a pastor, I thought, man, I sure hope you don't, you don't get the two goofed up at the wrong time. That came to my mind when when. You know, I was going over this because I thought, you know, it's so easy to have one kind of language when you're with certain people. But then, oh, when you're in church or when you're with, you know, Christians and all that, then, boy, oh, then you pour, pour out the other language. I think James says, take a look and see if you can't be the same all the, way, all the time. Because... The, the tongue of the righteous is like pure silver. It's so nice. And then he goes on and um, says, well, then he talks about um, can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. That's just two verses, but isn't that the truth? I mean, a salt spring can't possibly produce fresh water, and a fig tree cannot bear olives or vice versa. It just is just not possible. And so, I, I don't know, I just, I kind of went back to John chapter 3 and I was thinking about Nicodemus and Jesus and here's this religious man, you know, sneaking at night because he didn't want anybody to really see, but he was searching and he was asking and he was knocking. And, And you know what happens if we ask and if we seek and, we'll, and if we knock. I mean, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be open. That's Jesus' words. We happen to sing them tonight, but that, that's Jesus saying that. You come to me asking. You want to know. I'll see you do it. You get the answers. If you seek, oh, you will find. And if you keep knocking, if you're persistent, I'll make sure that that door is open to you. I was thinking about that, and, and here, here's, here's Nicodemus, and he's saying, you know, um, 
what must I do? You know, what, what, what is all this? You know, what is this all about? And, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, you know what? You really want to know? You, you're asking me, and you're seeking, and you're knocking. Well, let me tell you. I'll tell you the truth. I'll never beat around the bush. I'll make sure that you know it all, the truth. And then he says, you have to be born again. You must. You must be born again. And, you know, we know that story so well, and we know those words so well. But this is, this is what I wrote down. Not born again? Oh, you're not born again. You've never really seen yourself for what you truly are and knew that you needed a whole new rebirth, that you needed Jesus to then take over you. See, Jesus said, you must be born again. Remember, you're born once by water, the regular birth. That The second time, you need to be born by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit whispering in your ears, saying who you truly are. And you respond to that. And the Holy Spirit then comes into you, and you are reborn. And if that doesn't happen to you, You're not a Christian. Because Christian means you have chosen to follow Christ. You have followed the terms that God has set up for salvation. And that's through his son. And without salvation, you cannot produce the fruit that he expects. Oh, there's a cheap counterfeit of those non-fruit, but you without the spirit living inside of you, without the salvation experience and the spirit inside of you, you will not produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You won't produce the right kind of fruit. So... You're not going to produce the fruit that's acceptable to God. And I wrote, no more than a fig tree can produce olives. And then I thought, you know, you can make, you can make. And in fact, I was kind of looking up a fig tree and an olive tree. And, you know, you can make one look like the other. I mean, you know, the, out, the outside, you could cut it and, you, you know, you can make it look pretty, pretty close. Hmm, isn't that true? Isn't that how we can, we can make ourselves pretty close? We can act and we can look the part, you know, but you are not going to produce the kind of fruit. There, no matter how much you make a fig tree look like an olive tree or an olive tree look like a fig tree, they, you cannot produce the opposite fruit. It's just not possible. And James has made it so clear. That's phony. And then he goes in the last part of three, and he talks about the subject of wisdom. And we kind of alluded to that in, in the first week of James when, when James says, if any of you, in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So wisdom, you know, we, we didn't go into it too much. I mean, I did say that, uh, you know, knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is um, raw information. Knowledge is just plain raw information that we hear from all over, from everyone and everything. And so knowledge is what we learn from all over the place, raw information. Wisdom is, wisdom is, I just like to say it this way, that's God talking. That's God teaching me. That's God's words. Wisdom, according to Psalm, is when I listen to God instead of myself. That's wisdom. 
Oh, sometimes we think we have all the answers, but real true wisdom is when we're listening to him. And James says, I want to talk a little bit. I want to just tell you there are really two kinds of wisdom. One phony and one real. I really appreciate the way James kind of gives us a, a comparison so we can see the difference. So he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in, in the humility that comes from wisdom. This, he introduces this topic of wisdom by asking this question, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Humility that comes from wisdom. That means you know you're not smart enough. Oh, I've told this story so many times, but you know, one of my boys just plain aggravated me one day so terrible. And and but I I kept my cool. I remember, I remember when he, when he said, I want to do this, and I said no, and he said, Why? And I said, Because I'm your mom. And we and we are so alike, and all of a sudden, you, he just he put up the dukes. I mean, not literally, but you know, his my he was ready, and I he expected me because I usually am. And this time, this time, wisdom, wisdom, godly wisdom entered the picture, and I remember him. So trying to get me into to hurt, so he said, "Aren't you smart enough? Aren't you smart enough to figure out answers?" Because see, I, I would always say, you know, the Bible says, and oh, you know, that just usually that just puts them, you know, in a real state when you would say that to them. But it was the truth. And so he came back and said, um, uh, aren't you smart enough to figure out answers on your own? How come you always have to say the Bible says? And, you know, my first thought, my human nature was just to grab him around the neck. And, you know, that's disrespectful. And then to say that to me, what's the matter with you? You're not smart enough to figure out on your own? And so, but instead of reacting I just looked at him and I said, no, I'm not. I'm not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to know how to raise you. So I'm so grateful for the book. And let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I mean, you know, sometimes you have to swallow your so-called pride and that, but I, I am not smart enough. I'm not smart enough on how to, how to raise children. I'm not smart enough to be the kind of wife to Tom. I'm not smart enough to teach you. I'm not smart. I'm not smart enough. Now, I'm not putting myself down. I just know reality. I'm not smart enough. But James is saying, you know what? I want you to understand what real wisdom is. You don't have to be smart. You come humbly. Remember, flip back to the first chapter. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask. Oh, boy, have I had to ask. But what does he say? He will give what? He will give it generously to anyone. So we don't have to be embarrassed that we're not smart enough. You come humbly to him saying, no, I'm not smart enough, but I know that your wisdom, I want to hear you talk to me. Then he goes on, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Boy, he catches you. 
he catches you right off the bat when he says such wisdom. If you harbor, if you harbor bitter envy, if it's all about self, selfish ambition in your heart, such wisdom does not come down from heaven. It is earthly. That's earthly wisdom. It's really, you know, it's just, it's really not wisdom. It's not, well, we're going to see it's not godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom. It's earthly wisdom. You keep taking all your information from this world and you think the news, even Fox News, you think that that's all the information that you need and you're, you're filling your mind up all the time with all the information that's just coming at you all the conspiracies that are coming at you. Nowadays, it's just, who do you believe anymore? I don't know, but I can believe this book. This is what James is trying to say. Are you getting your so-called wisdom, your information from this world? Well, then don't be a bit surprised if you find out Look how, look how you, look, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Don't even be surprised if you see this kind of action, this kind of fruit coming out of you. You take all your information from the world, well, then guess what? You're going to be acting like it. That's what James says. You, you take all your information from the things and the ways of this world, and this world's telling you it's doom and gloom, and, and there's no hope, and... and and John Kennedy um, really didn't die, and he's going to come back, and he's going um, to uh, uh, rule with Trump again. Where in the world is this stuff coming from? But you, people, are, people are buying it. People are believing it. Conspiracies, lies, falsehood. Oh, but if it came from this source, or if it came from this source, or this news, or this, oh, it must be, no, nah, I'll tell you. Nowadays, we, that's why James says, I want to make sure you understand about where you're getting your wisdom. Where are you getting your information? What is, what is a part of you? What are you eating? And now it's becoming a part of you. Then whatever you eat then comes out of you. Don't be a bit surprised if you look at yourself in the mirror and you find out that this is the kind of action and you think, how in the world could I have said that? How in the world could I have acted like that? How in the world could I have done that? Well, I'll tell you how. Because you listen to everything and everybody. See if you're critical. If you're... You know, just watch sometimes even your mannerisms and your demeanor. See if you're, what information you're buying and taking part of the wisdom, the earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is when really you're in the center. It's only, it's only your, your, it's only you that's in view, basically. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all. I'm so glad he ended like this with this chapter. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Well, every, every week we've been saying this is my Bible and I believe it's God's word. Every word is true and it's all that I need. I mean, it's pure. This is the information. This is the wisdom. This is godly, heavenly wisdom. This is when you're listening to the Holy Spirit and he's telling you and you're feeding on his words. Look what, look what, look what, look the actions. Look what comes out of you then. Then peace, loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. Rather than stubborn, obstinate, hypocritical. Those are all words. Crabby, critical, stubborn, obstinate, hypocritical. Those are all, all from earthly information. Heavenly wisdom. Look, peace-loving, considerate, 
fruit of God's spirit, the acceptable kind. You're impartial. You're sincere. You're the real deal. To me, that was my main one of, of all of them. Because I knew that when I'm real, when I'm sincere, the rest of them will come. When I'm sincere about my walk, when I'm making the effort to become holy and righteous, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. My final line is, Heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom pays off. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. So true, so true, so true. Father, may we not just be hearers like James said in the first chapter. Let's not just hear this, but let's do it. Father, when we catch ourselves falling into our human nature, when, the, when our tongue wants to just say it, Father, may we think and may we pray. May we surrender before we say it. Father, thank you that James is so blunt. But Father, he learned. And because he learned, he now is teaching us. Father, may we learn tonight so that we too can reach out and be a teacher, the kind of teacher that will bring others into your kingdom. Thank you for using us in such a powerful way, just by being who we are in Christ Jesus. Free in Christ. Free from the fear of tomorrow. Free from the guilt of our past. Father, we didn't deserve any of this. But thank you again for touching us and making us whole through your grace and mercy.